Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Welcome, guys. Episode 13 of the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. And this is our series of uh, the deal gone bad. This is episode 13 of Deals Gone Bad. And we've got a great guest on today. And I've known him for years and years. His name is Justin Lee. And I first met him when he, a couple different times I've met him first time, I think. I'm trying to remember when it was, but he was doing some deals in St. Louis from California. But I was also met him when I was traveling around doing deals virtually from the Czech Republic and from an RV or something like that. And uh, Justin came on my radar because he's been doing deals virtually for a long, long time. He's one of the pioneers in the business doing deals virtually. And he's got a great bad deal here, if there is such a thing, where he actually bought a property from somebody who didn't own it through a fraudulent deed. And unfortunately, that sucks when that happens, and it's happened a lot. So we're going to be talking about on this podcast, how do you avoid situations like that? And I'm sure Justin's, he's been around the block for a long, long time, and he's done a lot of deals. And you're going to be learning about things to watch out for, which is the whole theme of this Deals Gone Bad podcast series here of what do you watch out for? So a few things first, guys. If you're watching this live right now on YouTube and Facebook, say hello. Why Carla right here is in the house. Hey, Carla, how you doing? Carla owns a, a tenant background screening company out uh, in Illinois called Landlord Tenant Services, ltservices.us. What's up, Carla? All right, so if you want the notes from these podcasts, you can text the word bad to 313131, 31 31, or you can go to jomacall.com bad to get all the notes. And I'm going to be turning this into a book. And uh, hopefully that's okay with Justin. I didn't ask him, but I'll, I'll make everything anonymous if Justin doesn't want to. But you know, we've said this too, guys, the, the smart people learn from their own mistakes. Wise people learn from the mistakes of others. And you could spend a lot of money and lose a lot of money making bad mistakes. But the thing I love about this series is that we're not interviewing people who have always had success, that have always made a lot of money doing deals. We're interviewing people who have had success and have had failures, but they rebounded. They came back. These are all people who made mistakes or learned really valuable lessons. Maybe they didn't make mistakes. They just didn't know. But things happened, but they all came back. They didn't quit. They didn't give up, which leads me to one of my favorite quotes. And uh, maybe I'll read this quote after I bring Justin on. How about we do that? We'll bring Justin on. There he is. Justin Lee. How are you? I'm awesome. Nice to see you. Man, you were in Costa Rica. Panama, one country over. Yes, in Panama. And doing deals in what part of the United States when we met? Panama, we were, when we were living in Panama, we were doing them in Southern California. Oh, that's awesome. It's hard enough yeah. to do deals in Southern California when you live there. Now, true. <laughs> <laughs> doing them from South America, that's awesome. Yeah. Glad you're on the show, man. I, I, it's, it's great to be here. It's been a while since I've done one of these, so it's nice to see you. And I saw you promoting this on uh, Facebook, and I'm like, you know what? I mean, don't get me wrong. I got plenty, but I got one that's worth talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm excited about this one. Um, not in a uh, sensationalist way, you know, because sometimes bad news sells, which is sucky and unfortunate. But I want these podcasts to be real lessons learned for people. They can learn and get away from this, something that can help them avoid the same mistakes. And this is a real famous quote from Roosevelt, President uh, Theodore Roosevelt in the, when was he president? In the 30s and 40s? 
Um, I should know that. But here, this is what he said. And I'm going to try to bring it up on the screen here. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory or defeat. Is that good? That's great, especially because you worked uh, worked the word deeds into the quote, which is my deal is all about the deed. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So when was this deal that we're going to talk about here? When yeah, great it? question. So uh, we're going back. I actually just opened up my uh, email folder so I get dates and stuff accuracy. I bought the house in 2010. And okay. uh, I'm looking here through the legal brief. I closed on it September 17th, 2010. So this wow. is over a decade old bad deeds, but it still sticks in my craw. <laughs> and this is a deal during the last recession. So house prices were still kind of falling. A lot of things happened back then with mortgage fraud back in 2006 and seven and eight, nine and all that. And it didn't stop, did it? No. So do you want me to just jump right into it? Yeah, yeah. Background? So... And gosh, I don't even remember how I came into contact with this gentleman. I don't remember if it was a Facebook group or an email, but whatever it was, this guy, I, I, I got a lead on a deal in Oceanside, uh, California, which for people who don't know, that's the San Diego County. It's the northernmost end of San Diego County. It's right next to Camp Pendleton. Yeah, it's cool. And uh, this guy had this deal and he's like, come on up. I'm wholesaling this house. Jumped in the car, 45-minute drive one way, got up there, you know, regular sort of standard track home. And I do remember the guy, his name was Michael Mayfield, and he was very, I'd never been to a house where a wholesaler was so intent about showing me the deed. Like, I don't really care about the deed, dude. Like, I just want to walk through the house, get my repair estimate. How much do you want for it? And let's close this deal. And so he kept showing me, he's like, look, I got the deed. I'm like, okay, that's great. How much do you want for it? Got a contract done with the wholesaler. He had selected an escrow company in San Diego. He, I was using private money at the time, private lender, who was financing 100% of the purchase price and I would fund the flips. So we get the house under contract. And this was going to be, because we got such a good deal on it, it was just going to be sort of a paint and carpet kind of a deal. Got the paint, got the carpet done, put the house on the MLS. And uh, about, I don't even know, a week into the process, the realtor whom I listed it with, my former business partner, his name was Miguel, his broker reached out to him and forwards this, I don't even know what the name of the document was, but basically it come from the previous broker saying, you can't sell this house, you don't legally own it. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? I've been through escrow, I've bought the property, we funded, it's closed, I own this house, get out of here. How many months have it been since you bought it? So we closed on September 17th. And I'm looking through here the notes here. Not even. It says on uh, October 1st that Deutsche Bank reached out to us and said, Deutsche Bank says, no, 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 we own this property. And I'm thinking to myself, no, you don't. I bought the property. Wow. You don't own it. Long story short, after a bunch of back and forth, 
uh, Deutsche Bank said, puts a Liz pendants on the house. So now I can't sell it. Okay. Mm-hmm. The backstory is what happened was this guy had basically gone forged a deed, taken it, recorded the deed, had gotten it past the notary, had accepted the whatever I paid for the house, $280,000 or whatever the hell it was. I don't even remember. I go back and look. And it basically taken the money and poof, and had scrammed with the money. So the oh, second- like You closed with a title company or an escrow company, right? We closed with an escrow company and got title insurance, for and sure. you had title insurance? Yes. How did they not catch this? I don't know. I don't know how title didn't catch it. All I can tell you is, and I'll say it now, and I'm sure I'll say it again at the end of the call. I'm like the living, walking, breathing reason, like the testimony of, hey, this is why you get title insurance. Okay. So like, let's just rewind it. Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Bank, whatever. They had a mortgage on it. German accent. (laughs) (laughs) Deutsche, Deutsche Bank. Yeah. They had a, an actual mortgage on the property. No, Deutsche Bank. So Deutsche Bank technically owned it. They'd taken it, they'd taken it back, REO, and this guy had filled out the fraudulent deed as if to say, no, 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 Deutsche Bank doesn't own this. I do this. So when the house went up for sale, I guess it triggered some sort of notification and the former REO broker called us or called the broker who had the deal where we were reselling it and said, what are you doing? You don't own this house. You can't legally sell this. And that's what started the unraveling of the ball of twine, so to speak. Wow. So long story short was my uh, the broker came to me and he goes, Justin, there's a list pendants against this from Deutsche Bank. You can't sell this house. You're never going to get clear title. You're not even the legal owner of it. Well, but I'm still like, maybe you're going to explain this. How did you get clear title on it? I mean, we went through the escrow company and they said, they. I, I don't know what happened, but it was lawyer's title insured the deal and we bought it. And away we went. Like I don't, I don't technically know how or or why they did it or how they didn't catch it. But the guy who was the fraud guy, I guess he did a good job on the fraudulent side. Wow. So already, I have a lesson learned that I've already typed down here. Uh, always buy title insurance. Yes, always. How much did that cost you? Do you remember approximately? Oh, I'd have to go back and check, but it was probably a couple of thousand bucks, maybe. Not probably, not even that much, maybe less. Title insurance, educate people a little bit. What is that? And is it required? Do you have to buy it? Uh, Oh, do you have to? I don't know if you have to, like, could you theoretically buy it? But what's important to note is in California, I don't know how it works in other states, there's a lender's policy and an owner's policy. And I believe it's the lender's policy is optional, but we got both policies and it's not something, I know the profit margins in the title insurance business are absurd, but like I said, I'm, it was worth it based on what the potential loss was. Because the second they reached out to us, the instant feeling in my heart sank and now it's panic and it's holy crap. I have a private lender who has loaned against this. Mm. They've loaned me 270 grand or whatever the purchase price was. How the heck am I going to repay them? What is going to happen? Now I'm panicking. I am panicking big time. Fortunately, I had a friend who worked in the title insurance business at lawyer's title. And I went to him. The long story short is that he put me in charge or in touch with their uh, frauds or claims department. Went through the whole process. We were assigned an attorney by lawyer's title who was retained by them. And I'm just looking here through my email. This case was resolved. It it took about a year and a half to get this thing resolved. So for a year and a half, now, the silver lining was, and 
granted, this was back, so we're talking 2010, 2011. So we're really at the bottom of the market. There's REO product everywhere. Um, you know, people are trying to do this quiet title, you know, fraudulent foreclosures, all this stuff. So I'm caught up in the middle of this whirlwind and I'm just this one little isolated case. We very quickly, because I had payments due to my private lender, right? Yeah. So I'm like, how am I going to service this debt? We stuck a renter in there. Oh, you did? We did. We stuck a renter in there. Fortunately, they paid everything. So a month to month? What did we do? I don't know. remember who did a one-year lease a month to month. They were in there for over a year anyway. We ended up going to court, obviously. I had to like, I was involved with the San Diego County Sheriff's Department. Like I had to go in the courtroom and it was like the whole thing. Do you see the man who gave you the fraudulent deed? Are you serious? Oh, the whole thing. Can you point him out? I got to, I have to point to the guy like he's in there and it's sort of creepy because like, it's not like the guy committed murder or anything, but it's really creepy being in a courtroom staring across at the guy who basically defrauded the transaction. Were you behind like a, uh, like a window with that, not a not see-through window? No, it was a full open court. Like he could have went Charles Manson and jumped up. <laughs> <that movie. laughs> so you saw him and he was there. He was there. And I had to explain the story, and here's exactly what happened. Now, here's the crazy part. Deutsche Bank comes back, and they go, they wanted me to buy the house from them at some insane valuation. And I'm like, no, this is what this is how much I have into it. Anyway, we ended up, and then so we said to Deutsche Bank, we're like, well, why don't you just buy it from me then? And I'll buy if you're telling me this is the value, you can buy it from me, and I'll take the difference. Anyway. Long story short, we went back and forth, back and forth. And finally, the lawyer was like, do you want this all to be over? And I said, you know, absolutely. And he said, uh, then you just need to take the Deutsche Bank, which is basically a deal, which was lawyers was just going to give me back the money. And I honestly, Joe, it's been a decade now. I don't remember the difference between what I rented it out for and what the servicing of the debt to the private lender was. It was a hundred bucks a month difference in either I made or lost a hundred bucks a month. I don't remember, but it dragged on and on for about a year and a half. I mean, I could only imagine if I had to have paid those lawyer bills myself because it was all paid for by um, by lawyer's title. I'm yeah. sorry if I said First American earlier, it was lawyer's title. They paid all the legal bills and I had like, I'd like a, you know, like when I say a proper lawyer, like one of the big fancy downtown San Diego offices with the law firm with five names on it. And like you walk it, you know what I mean? It was, wow. they weren't skimping on the legal. They had uh, retained some, uh, uh, you know, pretty powerful counsel. Uh, but anyway, it was a year and a half of my life of stress and anxiety. And uh, I'm basically the, you know, if anybody tries to, oh, well, I don't need a lender's policy or I'll just get an owner's policy or my, my advice is to not skimp on title insurance whatsoever. And I gladly pay it now on every single transaction I'm ever in. You said there's two title insurance, the lenders and the... What owners. Owners? The lenders and the owner's policy. Okay. Uh, whatever happened to the guy who sold you the deal? I believe he's hanging out in the Grave Bar Motel. Is he still? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he got out after 10 years, but the crazy part was when they like tracked him down and figured out who he was and like the uh and the escrow company gave all of the information and here's where we sent the wire the money was gone like he took the 270 or whatever it was and he closed on a wednesday and by friday that money had been taken out of his bank account who knows what he did with it well you'd think i mean in that kind of a crime it would be hard to hide wouldn't it yeah 
I mean, I don't know, right? What did you do? Go into the bank and take out 270 grand in cash? I mean, I don't, uh, I don't. It would be hard to hide your identity. You know, um, you, all of that stuff you have to sign and the, and the, the wire, the money gets wired, it goes to a bank and, you know, and, and you'd think the feds, it'd be easy to find somebody who tries to perpetrate. So he successfully did this on two separate houses in San Diego within a couple weeks of each other. And the other guy he did it to was this guy here. For if there's any people here or watching this who are in San Diego, there's a guy who runs a RIA group or used to run a RIA group. And his name is Chief Denny. And they call him Chief Denny because he's a former police officer. Holy smokes. So my link to Chief Denny is we were both defrauded by this same scumbag. And so, yeah, he did it twice he got away with it twice and in the whole circle of life type of thing here in southern california I, i've done uh i bought a mobile home for the first time in my life two years ago mobile home park no just one of the single units in the oh, park okay and when we went to sell it the guy who was the realtor who brought the deal he was like the expert in this mobile home park and uh, he's like no 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 we want to use this one specific escrow company because they're experts when it comes to mobile home. I really want you to use them. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. That's fine. We'll use whomever you want. And when we went to sell the house, you'll never guess who the escrow company was. The same one. The same one that did the fraudulent deed. And I walked in and I knew the name of it and it all started coming back to me. And I walked in the door and she goes, I know you. And I go, you want to know how you know me? And she's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it was Were they complicit in it, do you think? Absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely not. Now, the notary, that's a different story. Because what notary was like, oh, sure. So I don't know. I can't say that. But um, but yeah, it's crazy how eight years after that, it all came full circle. And I walked back into the same escrow company to close a completely separate transaction. And, you know, because escrow companies here in San Diego County, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of them. Justin, you look like Robert De Niro. How many times do people tell you that? Never. Is never. it the lighting in the camera right now and the way you've got your jacket up or something? Oh, man. No, never. I'll take it. I'll take it. When I was like younger. Robert, does anybody like, you, you guys see this? Looks like <laughs> Robert De Niro. Wow, I'll take it. When I was younger, I got uh, Keanu Reeves and Mario Lemieux. You look like you know a younger version of him, not the older one. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take um, it. Watch I'll this video it. back. You'll see what I mean when you see it. All right. So, so how can it sounds like this would be easy, an easy fraud to do? Like, how does local governments, local county recorders, you know, courthouses, and all that? How do they prevent this from happening? I don't know. I guess at the end of the day, Joe, what happened is, and I used to do, I'll call, I, I, everyone's got a different name for them, right? Call them the old kitchen, kitchen table closing, yeah. right? I, I mean, I remember the first deal that I ever did uh, in 2003. I did a kitchen table closing. I mean, and It I was did, like a creative deal or something? It was a creative deal. It was a sub two. And I'm just like, here's the deed. And we met at, um, you know, at the UPS store. The UPS guy notarized yeah. it. Yeah, and all that, and then I took it down. This was in Virginia, and got that because I, I I started my company when I was living in the D.C. area, and I took it down, and I got it recorded. And you know, obviously, the seller didn't do anything shady. I didn't do anything shady. It was completely a legitimate transaction. But I would just say maybe lesson learned, and I haven't done one in 15 years. Uh, I would do everything either through an escrow title company lawyer or whatever they use in your in your particular state. This whole uh, sign the deed over to me and I'm going to run down to the courthouse and record it. Yeah, I don't know if I would be. Uh, you can, but you know, had I have done that with this guy, 
it would have been game well, over. The question I think is still like how how can the governments prevent this from happening? Like I filed a quick claim deed before, and this was actually um, it was one, it was a house I actually really did own. And I wanted to get it out of my personal name into my LLC or something like that. And I just did it myself. And they didn't ask. I thought anybody could have done this, right? Like anybody could have deeded it out. Yeah. So how do these, how how can governments prevent this kind of thing from happening? I don't think they can. I don't think they can because now this is coming back to me. So I used to invest in Washington State. And for those who are are Washington State investors, you'll know they've got this brutal... uh, transfer tax there. It's basically 2%. So if you sell $200,000 or $100,000 home, you're paying two grand at closing. And traditionally, the seller pays it. Yeah. And I bought a house subject to out of foreclosure where I did a tabletop close and I transferred the debt. I had the deed filled out and I went from the seller into my entity. And I walked into the county courthouse, right? I had all the deed and it was all legit, but I thought I'm going to be a smart guy and circumvent the tax, right? Because I didn't want to pay the tax because I think it was like the valuation was like 350 grand. Long story short was I transferred it in and you have to fill out this form and it's like, what is your exemption? Why do you not have to pay the tax? And I put, oh, estate planning purposes, right? And it came through. Long story short is on the back end, when I resold that property, they caught me and I had to pay the transfer tax that I didn't pay the first time and again when I sold it. And so they catch in. So, you know, these little things that sometimes we, we that was on me and I was an idiot doing that to try and save a few thousand bucks and I shouldn't have done it in hindsight. I was younger and more foolish. But again, it was one of those tabletop closings where we didn't go through an escrow company or a title company who would have said, hang on a minute, you've got to pay this tax. You're you're transferring it from you know party A to party B. All right. So let's talk lessons learned. I think we've already talked about it. Number one, always use a title company. Or an escrow company or yeah, whatever they use, right? And, and a reputable one. And 99.9% of them out there are reputable. So yeah. How does somebody find a reputable title company? I'd always go referral. I'd always yeah. just ask a fellow investor in my market. Because what's funny is we have it now in San Diego, depending upon the type of deal that I'm doing, regular transaction, assignment of contract, wholesale deal, double escrow, or I'm taking it down myself, I've got it or subject to, I've got a different one for each one because either it's a combination of what they specialize, will or won't do, and their pricing. So you always get, you always see on Facebook, I always see this, I need an investor-friendly title company in such and such. And my response is, right, and I'm not trying to be, you know, I don't know what the word is, arrogant about it or whatever, but I always write back and say, what type of transaction are you trying to do? Because depending upon the type of transaction you're trying to do, I'm going to recommend a different escrow company to you. All right, good. Second lesson, always buy title insurance. Lenders and owner's policy. Yes. Goes without saying. Yes. Any other lessons learned? Anything you would have done differently? I mean, I think I was just, I mean, I, I'm a pretty trusting person. I'm also a horrible judge of character. Uh, which so is don't why trust I'm... your own judgment <laughs> of character. So, yeah, but like, I, I don't know, like, you know, maybe somebody would say, oh, Justin, I would have sniffed that guy out in a second or whatever. In hindsight, it was weird. He wanted to keep showing me the deed. But I didn't think anything of it. I'm more when I go into a house, I'm I'm just I'm obsessed with the numbers. What can I buy it for? How much is it gonna cost me to fix it up? What could I resell it for? I think even oh, the other yeah, lesson learned was so yeah, go through a, a title or escrow company yeah. and make sure you get title insurance. 
don't skimp. And the other thing I would say is, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there's people watching this going, oh, I've done dozens and dozens and dozens of tabletop closings. And I'm sure you have, and I'm sure they've all gone well. I, I won't ever do another one. It's just not worth it. I would rather pay to have that neutral, independent third party do it. And it's a it's an independent set of eyes yeah. on the transaction. And I also think with the tabletop closings, you know, I mean, unfortunately, Joe, we live in a litigious society today. And the next thing you know, you got, you know, you bought a house on the cheap from somebody and then they, you know, they find out about it. They want to come back at you. If you haven't done it through a, you know, a, a title or an escrow company, you're just opening yourself up to all sorts of additional scrutiny. But why yeah, especially you- with uh, when you have private lenders involved. hundred percent. Would you have done anything different? to protect your private investor better? I don't think so because we got the lender's policy. So that was the, that was the coverage. So I don't, I don't think so. I think it was just bad luck, you know, but I will say this to your point, when you start at the beginning and you're like, how the heck did this get through? How did nobody catch it? Had there been a hard money lender, a professional business, maybe they would have caught something during the underwriting process that most of our private lenders mm. that we have, and it is a pet peeve, by the way, when people misuse the term private lender. But for us who have true private lenders, friends, family, people who just want to invest in real estate passively, they are very trusting of us. Yeah, And that's why I said for me, this was that heart sinking, holy crap moment of, oh my goodness, this person has wired the 270 grand to the escrow company. What am I going to tell them? Well, good, good for you though, for taking care of your private lender. Obviously, Yeah. I mean, it took a lot longer, obviously. Um, but yeah, I still get the chills thinking about it. Is there anything you could have done to like, well, they were secured, right? I mean, they were kind of, but it was really just hanging on your word. Yes. I don't need a lender's policy. I don't know what would happen. So the lender got his money back plus interest. Well, we were paying the interest monthly, and that's when we had the renter. So they got their they got their principal amount back. Yeah, it was an interest only loan. How much money did you lose in this deal? Uh, I don't think I lost that much money. I don't think I lost much money at all. But I lost a lot of sleep, and there was a lot of stress, and a lot of time, and depositions, and and and, and like t- talking to. I don't think I ever spoke to the FBI, but certainly like all the local authorities here and conference calls and going and sitting through courtroom and depositions and then getting into it with Deutsche Deutsche Bank, like the amount of time that it took away from me being able to find or do other deals, it was huge. You probably Um, could have stroked a check. Would you have stroked a check to to not have to pay all of that headache, hassle and time? Well, you know, because the thought that I thought then it came down to a battle of between me and Deutsche Bank of, you know, who who technically owns this and they wanted me to pay them more for it. And I just spun it around and said, well, no, you pay me for that if you think that that's what it's worth. Yeah. Which at the time, I found it somewhat incredulous because Deutsche, Deutsche Bank was very much complicit with all that mortgage fraud and all that stuff going down. And for me, I was sort of like at this point now I had knew I had free legal work and I'm thinking to myself. Well, why can't you just have the one little guy here get this house? And why don't we all go about our business? Why do you want this house back so badly, Deutsche Bank? Why don't you just let me buy it out from you and we'll settle? But it didn't happen that way, but it all ended up working out for the best in the end. Wow. All right. So uh, final thoughts, Justin, like what, what advice would you give to somebody who's maybe listening to this and is a little intimidated, maybe a little scared now to go after big deals or I don't know, what would you say to somebody? I would say don't let my uh, don't let my story scare you. 
from being in this business. This is a tremendous business. Um, and it's a really great way to wealth. I would say that, you know, if you do everything above board, go through the title company, go through the escort company, buy the title insurance, don't skimp, that it's there for a reason. Because I know a lot of people complain about the profit margins in title insurance. Uh, you know, my brother's starting a title company <laughs> because of the profit margins. Don't let that discourage you because I'm living walking proof that it, I've gotten my ROI on it, you know, thousands. Yeah thousands of times. Time Never try to take shortcuts, I think is another big lesson. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I, I mean, again, I'm sure there's people out there doing the tabletop clothes. I wouldn't do those. I would do everything through a formal title and escrow company. I think it also on the acquisition side, when you've got sellers and you're doing off market deals, um, it's going to put them more at ease and give them more confidence. You know, for example, my favorite title and escrow company because I'm a work from home guy for years I would I had a very good relationship with them I would use their conference table or, or conference room and book it out and they would let me book it whenever I want and I would meet sellers there and so when the seller comes in there it's like hey here's where you're gonna sign the contract and you're gonna come back here in 30 days to sign all your final docs and your deed they're gonna have to check for you and all of a sudden it can add a high level of um, uh, legitimacy not yeah. It's an illegitimate business, but you know, right. when you work out of your house and you've got the PO box and all that kind of stuff, sometimes it's nice. And there are some people, a lot of people actually, who they just associate office in or a big tower in a big part of your local city or area. It gives you instant extra credibility. Yeah, I'm writing this down. If you work from home, if you have a great relationship with your title company or escrow company, meet the sellers there. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, another also, thing I wrote down here, lessons yeah. learned. Uh, no, but I was just, it's a side note. It's also a great place to meet them if you need to ask for a price reduction. It's a great place to what? Meet them if you need to ask for a price reduction. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I just hand the, the, the addendum to the contract saying, sorry, we're going to have to reduce the price of it. So. Oh, man. That's good. All right. So uh, also I wrote down, always make sure your private lenders are being taken care of. Like, it's like that's. Uh, would you agree with that? I mean, before you make a dime of profit, You've got to make sure your private lenders are taken care of. 100%. That's why that we turned it into a rental because we were going to pay the whatever it was at the time. We were paying, you know, 12%, so 1% a month, so 2700 bucks a month. You know, wow. that's not an insignificant amount of money or check to be writing every month. So, yeah, yeah. So, yes, we, we took care of them. Absolutely. All right, Robert De Niro. <laughs> I swear you got to. You gotta watch the replay of this. You get All right, I the will. lighting and the way the lights on your eyes. It looks like you look like Robert De Niro. But I will um, take it all day long. How can people get a hold of you, Justin? Maybe they've got a deal. Maybe they uh, listen to this thinking, "Man, I want to lend some money to Justin." Uh, <laughs> yeah. So if they want to get on my, uh, if they want to get on my buyers list, they can see our wholesale deals that we have in San Diego, and that's uh, San Diego Cash Deals dot com. Writing this down: San Diego Cash Deals dot Com. Yeah, look at that. Fast and fancy. I like that. And it uh, that website screams 2011. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where I won't change it to modernize it because it is an homage to what websites used to look like in 2011. I'm looking at it right now. Holy smokes. <laughs> it sure does. Let me share my screen here. Um, hold on one second. We like to keep it simple here. We're not... Uh, Doing a lot of fancy stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. That's awesome. Yes. That was back when the big debate was uh, uh, Ariel or Tahoma. 
which font is going to do better. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. What was the name of the guy who built those websites back in the day? There was a guy who had like, he, he was a guy who had all of the websites. Remember? Yes. But that wasn't one of those that actually sits on a word that's customized on WordPress. That's how ugly that customization is. It hasn't been updated in uh, over a decade. Well, maybe right around a decade. Secure and confidential. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Any, any other way people can reach you or is that it? Yeah, th that's probably okay. the best way because they can get that. Or if they, you know, our corporate website, if they wanted to talk to us about doing some private lending now that they, they well, hopefully they think I know what I'm doing. Uh, they can go to A-B-I-I-L-L-C.com. A-B-I-L-L-C. Two I's. Alpha Bravo, India, India, and then LLC, like the company. Cool. All right. So change the, our, the name of our company is ABI Investments. And you know what ABI stands for, Joe? No. It's one of our core values of our company, and it's always be improving. Always be improving. I love that. That's cool. That's a good lesson learned. Let me write that down in my notes. Always be improving. That's one of your core values. One of our core values. And we're huge on that because as I tell people when they join our team, I don't, I, I don't, as long as you're getting better every day, that's all I care about. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, Justin, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Appreciate right it. On. Thank you. It was great seeing you. Talk to you soon.